Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. This is episode 14. Can you believe that, brother? Crazy. 14. 14. We've made it. We've made it 14. Yep. And we are currently uh, in a little interlude, so to speak, of... uh, It's a good word. (laughs) Makes it sound so professional. Oh, I I mean, we... (laughs) We're in radio land, brother. We gotta, we gotta be professional at this, right? We've sure. made it fourteen episodes. We have. Surely we're professionals by now. Old hat. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but we're we're in kind of a break from uh, Richard Baxter's reformed pastor. We're currently uh, moving through a couple of different prayers in the book, The Valley of Vision. Yep. And so, uh, this is gonna, next episode. We're planning to return uh, to re- to reformed pastor. We're going to move through chapter two, beginning next episode. Uh, but we've got one more prayer uh, that we want to move through uh, in the Valley of Vision. And so, I'm David, and I'm Scott. I realized I did not start think, with that. But you know, I think most people that listen to us probably, <laughs> probably already that. know our names. I, I would imagine. So, uh, brother, what, what prayer are we doing this week? Yeah, so, so there's a whole section of the book that is, uh, that is entitled Approach to God. And it's all these different, uh, and a lot of them are focused really honestly on prayer. And, uh, and one of my personal favorites is actually the approach to God in prayer, which in my book is on 146. In my book, it's 144. Oh, whoa. So We're close. Somewhere around there. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere around in there. But towards, kind of towards the end of the book, it's a little bit longer. And so, uh, so I will, uh, we will try to plan accordingly. So here we go. Ready? Let's go. Oh, Lord, in prayer... I launch far out into the eternal world. And on that broad ocean, my soul triumphs over all evils on the shore of mortality. (laughs) I can't, I can't, I can't. I was going to read the whole thing. I can't. Mm. Man, okay. Listen, listen. Mm. In prayer, I launch far out into the eternal world. I just love that picture. Of you know we we think of prayer is stillness right it's it's stillness and quietness it's it's time alone with God but it launches us right and then on that broad ocean my soul triumphs over all evils on the shores of mortality yeah yeah how does how does prayer help us triumph over the evils on the shores of mortality it's a good it's good that you asked that question David. <laughs> hold on I because... feel as though we're going to have some answers. So here's the next thing he says, time, with its gay amusements, cruel disappointments, never appears so inconsiderate as then. So so first, there's this, okay, time with its gay amusements. It's really important. Most of our listeners probably recognize this, but that word has been appropriated by the culture to mean something very different mm. than it did in this time period. So when we talk about time with its gay amusements, we're talking about the, 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 the distractions of life, the, the things that you're prone to think about when you ought to be thinking about God. Um, in our culture, I think the gay amusements that distract us from time and, and from, from prayer and in our time now are all, almost always our phones. Mm. You know, yeah. the, to be in the middle of, of, of trying to get yourself in the right spirit to talk to the Lord and you hear, Ding, you know, or you see your little red arrow come up, your little red mark come up or whatever, mm, you know, the little yeah. blue light. I used to have this, 
it made me crazy. It was the first time I realized how dangerous these phones were. I had a phone that when you had a text message, it shone this little blinking blue light. Ooh. And you would just see the light. All would happen was a blue light would blink. If you had a Facebook message, it was like a red light. And that's, and it's crazy. It was like, I am Pavlov's dog. But, but you, you start to realize this, that it is so easy. You're so, we're so easily amused. We're so easily distracted. It's, and C.S. Lewis, right? That we are, we're more than happy to make mud pies in the parking lot mm. instead of having the holiday at the beach that we're, we're too easily amused. The problem is not that we're, 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 you know, it's, it's too hard to amuse us. It's that it's too easy to. Yeah. And so prayer launches us out, right? It starts to launch us out. And then, and then the author immediately says, man, these gay amusements and cruel disappointments of time never appear so inconsiderate as then, you know, to be really in the middle of having these, these thoughts of God and something distract you. Mm. And he, and he's, he's frustrated about this, but here's here, here we go. How is it that prayer helps our soul triumph over all evils on the shores of mortality in prayer? I see myself as nothing by my heart going after thee with intensity and long with vehement thirst to live with thee. Blessed be the strong gales of the spirit that speed me on my way to the new Jerusalem. Mm. In prayer, all things here below vanish and nothing seems important but holiness of heart and the salvation of others. Mm. In prayer, all my worldly cares fears, anxieties disappear and are of as little significance as a puff of wind. In prayer, my soul inwardly exults with lively thoughts at what thou art doing for thy church. And I long that thou shouldst get thyself a great name from sinners returning to Zion. In prayer, I'm lifted above the frowns and flatteries of life and taste heavenly joys, entering into the eternal world, I can give myself to thee with all my heart to be thine forever. In prayer, I can place all my concerns in thy hands to be entirely at thy disposal, having no will or interest of my own. In prayer, I can intercede for my friends, ministers, sinners, the church, thy kingdom to come with greatest freedom, ardent hopes, as a son to his father, as a lover to the beloved. Help me to be all prayer and never to cease praying. So that's how, that's how prayer can help our soul to triumph over all evils and the shores of mortality. So let's back it up. In prayer, all things here below vanish. Nothing seems important but holiness of heart and the salvation of others. When, when it's done rightly, in in my in and I've had I've had moments like this. I wish that I could say I've had lots of moments like this. That would first it would be arrogant, and second it would be not true. But man, there are times and seasons of prayer where literally you can you can feel things of this world disappear, and that's kind of what it's that is not kind of it is what it's supposed to be. It's mm. this moment where you're in the throne room of grace, you know kneeling, a posture of humility and submission before your father who cares for you. And it and it takes us, if you will, in, in a lot of ways from the things that we thought were important. Like really, truly, what could be more important? It was, you know, I think it was Martin Luther 
that talked about being too busy not to pray. You know, that, that his schedule was such that he had to devote hours and hours to prayer on end, or he wouldn't get anything done because he wouldn't have the right frame of mind about what was actually important. You know, of all the books that I've ever read on productivity, effectiveness, business leadership, I don't know that I've ever read one. I'm trying really hard to think about that because I want to give credit if I have, but I don't think so. I've read a really good one here recently that I thoroughly enjoyed. I still don't necessarily remember there being anything in there about how critical it is to first pray because when you do, it sets your frame of mind in terms of the rest of your work day, for instance, for those of us who work outside the home, about what things are important. Like our job, our work as pastors, is a constant series of decisions about good versus best. Mm. Well, if your life is not a discipline of prayer, you will not be able to figure that out. You just won't. And so, so there's, there's number one, right? That it, it really does help us to prioritize what is actually important. Number two, in prayer, he says, all my worldly cares, fears, and anxieties disappear. Why? Because he says they are of as little significance as a puff of wind. Okay, hold on. Wow. I have a windscreen in front of my microphone, so I hope you heard that. Hold on. There you go. Now you heard it. So that's it. That's how, that's how much... That's how much the greatest stresses of our life matter in eternity, David. Mm. Yeah. I mean, think about whatever it is, dear listener, whoever you are. I mean, I think about this in my own life too, okay? Think about whatever it is that is causing you the greatest amount of stress right now and stretch it out over 100,000 years. 100,000 years from now, tell me how much that's going to matter. That's what prayer does. Prayer sets our heart on eternity. Yeah, I mean, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, Vanity yeah. of vanities. Grasping for the wind. Absolutely. You know, that just like you can't hold the wind or, or, or smoke in your hand, right? so too all of this just doesn't hold any weight right. in the face of eternity. Right. All right, so there you go. That's, there's number three. That Number two is perspective. Number three, in prayer my soul inwardly exalts with lively thoughts at what thou art doing for thy church, and along that thou shouldst give thyself a great name from sinners returning to Zion. So prayer gives us as a perspective of, you know, life is not always roses and puppies for us. Life is not always good. doesn't mean that God is not good. He is. But sometimes suffering is real. Hardship is true. Sometimes life is bad. It's one of the reasons why it is so important for you and I and all other Christians to associate themselves with a local church. Because you know what? In the context of that church, God is doing some incredible things mm. in the lives of people. And and we need to be reminded of that. In the global church, God is doing some incredible things to advance his kingdom in places where there have never been access to the gospel among people who've never heard the name of Jesus. And and so there's this perspective that prayer helps us to, to stop and go, wait, God is up to many good things. Now, here's the thing. He's up to many good things in our lives as well. It's not that he isn't. It's that sometimes he's in the middle of doing something that we just can't see and won't see for many years or ever. Mm. But, but we look at the contours of him advancing the gospel through his church and prevailing against the, 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 the gates of hell. And we're encouraged that he's doing this. All right, so that's three. Number four, in prayer, I am lifted above the frowns and flatteries of life. 
and taste heavenly joys. Entering in the eternal world, I can give myself to thee with all my heart to be thine forever. I, lo- I like the, the just the little phrase, taste heavenly joys. So lifted above the frowns and flatteries of life. We're, it's that easily satisfied thing again, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a there should be a hunger for us to commune with God. And when there's not, those should serve for us as check engine lights in our life. It doesn't mean that you're condemned. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian, but it does mean that something is askew. And you're supposed to look at that and go, ooh, okay, wait a minute. Am I too easily satisfied here? Mm. You know, and so to taste heavenly joys, how do you do that? We do that through prayer. I think that we think of, I think that most contemporary Christians so far, the things I'm describing, they have, they have ascribed to the Christian life, but most often they've ascribed it to the Sunday morning worship service. And I don't think that's inherently a bad thing, but it can be a little misplaced. That's also what's supposed to be happening in your prayer closet, in your time alone with the yeah. Lord. That's that's what it's supposed to do for you. It's good to get those things. Do not mistake what I am saying. It's good for us to experience those things in gathered worship. Yeah, rightly so, yeah. But you also can and should experience those things in your own times alone with the Lord. Yeah. Or in family devotions at home. Family devotions. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, good. All right, so that's that's four or five. In prayer, I can place all my concerns in thy hands to be entirely at thy disposal, having no will or interest of my own. This is, I mean, it's Peter, right? Cast your cares on Christ because he cares, cares for, for you. you. Like, I can, I can give this away. I can't hold on to this. I think so much of the anxiety that I've found over the course of my own life that I've, I've struggled and dealt with. And, and I bet I'm not the only person is really based on me trying to hold on to things that I was never supposed to hold on to in the first place. Well, mm-hmm. how do you cast those things? How do you cast your cares on Christ? Well, you do so in prayer. Mm-hmm. You do so by reminding yourself who God is and telling God who he is. And then just going, this is yours. yours. It's not mine. I, I can't, I can't do this because I'm not God. All right. So, so next in prayer, I can intercede for my friends, ministers, sinners, the church, thy kingdom to come with greatest freedom, ardent hopes as a son to his father, as a lover to the beloved. So, so now there's this intercessory work. The prayer shouldn't just be about our wants. It shouldn't just be about our needs. It's about those around us, those to whom God has given us and those to whom we have been given, praying for and interceding on on their behalf, you know, praying for friends. It's a shameless plug here for praying for your pastors. Yes. Right? Please. Praying for ministers, praying for sinners, as though ministers weren't sinners. But I think what they're after here is the lost, yeah. you know, praying for lost folks. You, you, you should be actively and intentionally praying for lost people in your family and in your workplaces and things like that. Praying for the church. That's the local church. That's the global church. That's the church church, you know, praying for it. Praying for God's kingdom to come, right? Yeah. That yeah, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. How with greatest freedom? I'm I'm free to pray for all these things. Isn't that wild? Because I have a great High Priest who intercedes for me, right? Hebrews nine tells me I can come boldly before the throne of grace. I can pray for all these things, and 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 we sometimes forget what a deep privilege it is to be able to pray. Greatest freedom, ardent hopes. I know that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I know that, yeah. right? My, my, my Bible tells me so. And, and I, I, I trust in the goodness of God to bring about his causes for his glory. 
And so, so I can, I can have great hope that as I pray these things, he hears me and he is not only will he act, he is acting. And I pray, then he says, and then this is the posture of prayer. I pray as a son to his father and I pray as a lover to the beloved. You know, like I think of, I think of my son asking me things. I think being a dad, particularly to, you know, a, a kid who's not yet a teenager, um, over the last you know ten years or so, you see so much of how he talks to and asks for things, and you think that's how I'm supposed to be asking the father for things. It's very, very helpful for me. Has been very helpful for me to get to see. You know, he 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 asks and believes, um, and hopes in so many good things because he knows he can talk freely to me, and that's mm-hmm. a, that's great as a lover to the beloved. You know, there's the same sort of picture of how we're supposed to speak to each other in a marriage relationship. Mm. That's how we talk to God in prayer. And then finally he says, help me to be all prayer and never cease praying. We're supposed to be like a big old ball of prayer, just walking around prayer, saturated prayer. Like when we Mm. open our mouths, prayer falls out. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Man, I got to say this, this prayer really makes me want more of this. Mm. <laughs> it makes me want to know, man, how do I, mm. this, this guy, he is experiencing prayer. And I think you touched on this. He's experiencing prayer in ways that man, either, either I haven't experienced or I've experienced very seldom. Very rarely. Very rarely. Yeah. You know, and and how, I think, how do we, how do we get to this? Well, that's a good question. How do we get here? I think sometimes, you know, one of the things we try to hammer around here a lot is it starts with desire, right? Like it has to start with want to. And here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping we're reading this and listening to this and you and I aren't the only two people going, man, I want that. I want that. I want that. Okay, that's bad. a good thing. That's what books should do for you, right? That's that's really what reading any kind of book should do for you. It, it, it's particularly a devotional one. And the Valley of Vision is very much a, a devotional book. And so, you know, done rightly, and there's nothing wrong with devotional books. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with them. There's something wrong with a lot of devotional books, but <laughs> but the good ones do this. The good ones point you. Like I think of uh, Jerry Bridges, right? Like yes. you read a Jerry Bridges book and you're like, dude, I want to be that holy. I want to be Jerry Bridges <laughs> when I grow up. I yeah, want to do that. I mean, really. And that's what a good devotional book does. For me, it was it, it was and is J.C. Ryle. Like I mm. read Ryle's Holiness or Ryle's Walking with God or Old Paths. Like I pick up a book like that and I think, I want to be able to not just think about God in this way, but to to live out my my ministry and my walk with the Lord in such a way that I help others learn to think about God this way. Mm. You know, there's a there's a there's something to it that's just riveting. Like we 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 long for the converted man and woman, the converted person longs for that holiness, mm. particularly when we know we don't have it. You know, it's a it's a, it's, there's a, there's a thirst for it. And so I think step one is desire. You, you read something like this, you hear these Puritans do this stuff and we can, we can almost go one of two ways with it. One is, man, I want that. Two is, oh, well, that's just never going to happen. Right? I'm, I'm just, you know, this is holier than thou God. I'm never going to be able to do that. So I'm just going to go on with life like normal. Well, that is not the correct approach. Right. So there's a desire. And number two is one of the other things that I think a devotion book like this does for us 
is it teaches us how to express those ambitions to God. Mm. You know, this is, you know, you don't really ever read the Puritan saying, I get to do this all the time, God, and this is 100% of the time how my prayer life is. Uh-huh. I think what they do, particularly in the Valley of Vision, is they, they visualize the sort of Christian life that they aspire to, and then they verbalize that life to God, and then they begin the hard work, sweating it out, day to day, moment by moment, plowing away, mm. so that they can move towards that end. Mm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I think, I think that's probably an important, particularly if you're going to be reading the Valley of Vision, folks, you need to read this and understand, like, nowhere do you hear that I can think of. Nowhere do you hear a Puritan say, this is all, I'm always like this. My prayer life is always like this. But you do hear this Puritan say, this is what prayer is. This is what prayer could be. Mm. This is, this is how it sets me off and saves me from the shores of mortality, right? It does this, but, but I've, there's some work involved in that. It's like mining for gems. You know, you can't go down into a, sapphire mine in Africa and look around and hold your hands out and a beautiful sapphire just fall into your hand. You got to pick up an ax and start mm-hmm. swinging. You got to, you got to pick it out. And then when you get it, it's, it's just a purple rock. It's not, it doesn't look like it does when it's finished. Now you've got to do the work of tumbling that thing. So you've got the rock in your hand. That's great. Now, if you really want it to be beautiful, you've got to take it. You've got to apply the sand to it. You've got to do the work of tumbling it. You got to turn it over in your hand. You've got, there's, there's more to it, right? And and devotional life, growing in Christ, is so much that. It's so much understanding. Man, I don't know very many Christians who don't theoretically want to have this kind of prayer life, for instance. Mm. I know lots of Christians, and I would include myself in this at least some of the times, lots of Christians who aren't necessarily willing to put in the work required. And it is work. And it is work. It is work. Yeah, don't let anybody tell you Christian life ain't work. Yeah, one of the things that this particular prayer reminds me of is we have a regular practice in our church, a yearly practice of the 24 hours of prayer. Yeah. That we take a 24-hour day out of our year, and we break it up into one-hour time slots. And we have at least 24 of our members that sign up for one-hour slots during that day. And they come and they pray. And they pray for our community. They pray for our church. They pray for all these different things. And one of the things that I say when, when we get close to that time of year, every year, is if you have never taken an hour, an hour. Yep. and devoted it to prayer, you need to sign up. Right. Because, because it's hard. Yeah. Because it's hard. But boy, every year, Fruitful. every year, there's someone that this is their first year signing up. And they come back, they come out of that 24 hours of prayer going, man, that was amazing. Life-changing. That was mm-hmm. incredible. Spending an hour talking to the Lord yep. is so fruitful. Yep. Man, I would encourage you if, if, if you, if you're listening to this and you're like, I've never spent an hour in prayer, I would encourage you find, find an hour, find an hour in your week and devote it to prayer. Absolutely. And and I promise you, the Lord will not, will not, will not fail you. No. He, he will not. That hour will be fruitful mm-hmm. because you have spent it with the Lord. Yep. Yep. 
Man, that's a good one to end on, I think. I, yeah. Yeah. That, so, I mean, tying it up, we went a little longer today. I think the, the take home, you know, one final little parting shot reminder, if I could, is we as Christians are supposed to have a holy ambition, right? Like the, the, the holy ambition of the Christian life is to be continuously conformed to the image of Jesus so that we look more like him. And you look at the Gospels at all these pictures of Jesus praying. Mm. And again, we're supposed to look at it and go, that's that's what I want. I want to be like that. I want to pray like that. That's how I want to pray. And that's a good thing. Don't let that discourage you. Don't feel beaten down because that doesn't describe. You know, we read this really awesome prayer by a Puritan and you think, well, that's just not what my prayer life is like. Don't let that discourage you. Don't, 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 don't let it. It's not what it's written to do. It's, mm. not, it's not written to discourage you. And we didn't read it. To discourage you, you you read it to go, wow, that's my holy ambition. That's mm-hmm. it. I want to be able to pray like that. Yes. And when we do that, well, then we're using books rightly. They're accomplishing what they were intended to do. Yeah. So. And that's why we read books by old dead guys. That is right. Oh, wow, David, well done. <laughs> oh, good segue. Mm. All right. Well, that is it. Next week, we're back to Baxter. Back to Baxter. Yeah, Reformed Pastor. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We are very, very grateful for you. Mm. Thank you and goodbye.